Hello, thank you for listening to this podcast. My name is Stephen Cook and this is a talk based on Romans chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 9. There are four characters mentioned in those readings and there's something which is common to all of them. We have Matthew, the tax collector, an unnamed woman with a long-term medical condition, the leader of a synagogue who isn't given a name in Matthew's Gospel but we know from Mark and Luke was called Jairus, and we have Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. A very disparate collection of people. What could they possibly have in common? Let's start with Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. If you've been part of the church for any length of time, you will know about tax collectors like Matthew. They weren't your friendly, upright HMRC characters we all love. They were people who made money at the expense of others. The land was occupied by the Romans. The Romans wanted money to pay for the occupation, but they didn't have the local knowledge to enable them to collect the taxes. So people like Matthew would buy the right to do so. The Romans had a guaranteed income, and any money Matthew collected over and above what he'd paid was his profit. It's hard to capture the contempt in which people like Matthew would have been held. He was a traitor to his people. He exploited others for his own gain. The only thing that kept him from being torn limb from limb was the presence of the Roman overlords. I've said before that it's hard to find a parallel in our society, but paedophile comes close. The sight of Matthew at his collecting booth would have evoked similar emotions in the people of anger and disgust. Yet Matthew is one of those whom Jesus called, and the Bible says simply, he got up and followed him. Let's leave him there for a moment and come back later. Next, the unknown woman. I was reading a while ago about an amazing group of surgeons who were taking time out of their normal duties to visit out-of-the-way places in third world countries to bring much-needed surgery to women who had been injured giving birth to children. For these women, incontinence or haemorrhage was not just a medical problem, it was a social one as well, and they were often excluded from normal society. Surgery meant that their health and their life were restored. Surgeons who could have made a lot of money in the rich world had chosen to help the world's poorest, and I'm sure they will have their own reward. So this woman, an outcast, someone who tried everything, who was in desperate need of surgery in a world which hadn't really discovered it, someone who is at the end of her tether, someone who feels she's not worthy of a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, reaches through the crowd and grasps the hem of his clothing. We'll leave her as well and come back. Next, Jairus, the synagogue leader. In complete contrast to the other two, he is a pillar of the local community. Respected, upright, in with all the right people, versed in the law and the commandments. But he was linked to the others by a common thread of humanity. His daughter had died, or at least he thought she died, and his grief and his desperation led him to break out of the restrictions of his status and search out the one person who he'd heard might be able to do something. There he is with a crowd pressing round, eager to see what Jesus would do. And somewhere in the throng, there is the woman, and presumably Matthew. 
We'll leave them all there and scroll back many centuries to Abraham. In this case, we find him being written about not in the Old Testament, but in the New, in Paul's complex but seminal letter to the Romans. When I was a young teenager and just realising that women were interesting, there was a girl called Rachel. She was a year older than me and frankly out of my league, but a boy can dream. And I knew that Rachel went to a church group, so I signed up. It turned out to be a Bible study led by a rather serious man who took us verse by verse through the letter to the Romans. Well, my love for Rachel faded, but my fascination with the letter to the Romans has never gone away. It can be obscure, it can be dense, but it is wonderful. Abraham is Paul's proof case in chapter 4 of his central thesis that we are justified but right with God through faith. The law cannot save us because we can't keep it. Our consciences, which should tell us right from wrong, can't keep us from doing what is wrong. But what we are unable to do because of our weakness, God in Jesus has done for us because of love. And to receive the gift of salvation, we have to believe and trust. Abraham didn't know any of this. He wasn't a Christian, he wasn't a Jew in the proper sense because the law hadn't been given until the time of Moses hundreds of years later. He wasn't even an especially good man as the book of Genesis goes on to outline. But when God took him outside his tent and told him to look up at the desert night sky and count the stars if he could, then told him that's how many his descendants would be, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. In the same way, says St Paul, it will be reckoned to us who believe as Abraham did. So, let's go back to our list. If anyone deserved condemnation, Matthew did. In your weakest moments when you feel you're a rotten Christian and you've got an imposter syndrome about being in church, when you look around and everyone seems so much better than you, remember Matthew. The people of the time couldn't believe that Jesus would even associate with people like him, let alone call them into discipleship. Yet there he is among the twelve. Saint Matthew, with churches named after him. Why did Jesus call him? Well, Jesus had that ability to see beneath the surface, to look at a face and see the soul. And in that moment, Matthew left his old life and found a new one. The woman had tried everything and nothing had worked. And you can well imagine that the medicine of the day had made her worse rather than better. Jesus doesn't pick her out of the crowd. She seeks him out. And even when the crowd gets in her way, she reaches through, touches him and finds herself healed. There was no power in the garment Jesus was wearing. This wasn't a decision Jesus made. He didn't know about it before it happened. He had to stop and ask who touched him. The healing came because the woman brought her need to Jesus because she had faith. And Jairus, the love of a desperate father brought him to Jesus. Jairus was the leader of the synagogue. There would have been all sorts of rituals and proper things prescribed to do in the event of a tragedy like this. But he cast it all aside and went in search of the itinerant preacher he'd heard could work miracles. Jesus, who could be very hard on the religious leaders of his day, recognised his faith and went with him, pausing only for a few minutes to call the woman out of the crowd 
so that she wasn't simply healed, but she was restored to her place in society. When Jesus arrived at Jairus' house, his daughter was restored to him. Perhaps there's a fifth person in our readings, because Paul, the persecutor of the church, the man on a vision to destroy this upstart religion, was turned around by a blinding encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And with it came the understanding that even as far back as Abraham, what really counts with God is not who we are or how good we are, but our willingness to trust. Which of the characters we've mentioned do you most associate with? Matthew the sinner, the outcast wounded woman, the upright but desperate Jairus, or maybe Abraham who thinks his best days are past and there's little hope for the future. If the Bible is just a collection of stories about people long dead, then it has little to say to us, and there's no point reading it out on a Sunday and saying thanks to be to God when we hear it. These characters are there to hold up a mirror to us. Just like Abraham outside his tent that starry night, we need to say yes to God's future for us. Just like Matthew sitting in his collection booth with his stacks of cash, we need to say yes to God's call to us. Just like the woman who tried everything, we need to get past all the things standing in our way and reach the hem of his cloak. Just like Jairus, we need to take our desperation to the one who can do something for us. Just like Paul, we need to realise that it's faith that makes a difference, not who we are or what we do. I've said need each time, but perhaps can would be a better word. This is an invitation. The way is open, not because we've done anything, but because God in Jesus has done everything. You can do this, but it's up to you. None of these characters were paragons of virtue. They're examples of faith. And they're examples to us, who are also not paragons of virtue, but can, if we choose, be examples of faith. Jesus says to us, like he said to Matthew, follow me. He says to us, like he did to that woman, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He says to us, as he did to Jairus, do not be afraid, just believe. And he says to us, as he said through Paul, it will be reckoned to us who believe as Abraham did. None of this is news to you. You must have read, you must have heard me say it dozens of times, but that's because it is so fundamentally important to what we believe as Christians. All God asked of Matthew, the woman of Jairus and Abraham, is that one step of faith. And it's all God asks of us as well. And that is wonderfully good news because if it was anything more, we wouldn't be up to it. But as it is, to quote Paul's foundation text for the whole of the letter to the Romans, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. May God bless this word to us. Amen.